I always watch a, a title sequence. Yeah. Right. Um, Even E.T., I, which is uh, which is literally just text on black and very little music. Um, and it I goes on for a E.T.'s while. It's literally sequence. just text on black. But uh, but I feel like a good title sequence will always set the scene. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, even when there's nothing doing, it kind of like it kind of brings you in a little bit. Yeah. It's kind of mesmerizing. I don't know why. Uh, um, Shosh and I have been watching uh, Only Murders in the Building. Mm-hmm. And I really like that opening title sequence. Um, lots of like 2D and, and 3D mixed in there with really clever colors and like the palette i can't I, quite I remember the the title is it like uh kind of like the catch me if you can title sequence that kind of vibe uh, kind of it's um it's sort of just uh, the camera panning up uh a cartoon version of the building oh, the, yeah, we're seeing yeah, all yeah, of yeah. the different um, you see in the windows uh apartments and yeah. people who live there and 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 then it sort of um changes over to nighttime mm-hmm. and then there's like a you know the red and blue of police sirens. Then you, it zooms down. You see the three of them standing there in silhouette, and then it goes through a 3D, the opening to the building complex, which is like a tunnel. Mm-hmm. So it goes through that in 3D, and then ends on a 2D shot. And I think that's really, really cool. The music is great, and and we never skip it. Right. And it's so a, here's a, a here's good, a good title one. sequence you don't want to skip. Here's a good one. If we can degrade for a moment. Um, your top five movie title sequences, and let's discount James Bond here because at some point we will do. Oh um, shy! I don't think I can do that on one leg. Uh, I have a few in mind. Can I think? You can think. Do you want me to? I'll, I'll, okay. So we just took a little bit of a break so that we could make lists. Now that we've digressed, we've digressed in an epic in a fashion of a digression yes i can't put any of these in a particular order okay so just so you you go ahead just tell and me, i've got tell me, six tell me what you got so i got i got seven mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in no particular order so in no particular order speed Ooh, i like okay, the opening that's a good sequence one. That's a good speed. One. Okay. we watched that a yeah, few yeah, weeks yeah, ago yeah. I, th- I really like that one and mm-hmm. uh, mostly what i like about it is how 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 they specifically built a set for that opening sequence. Right, you like You've the, got to appreciate the practical like the craft. nature of that right, shit. Okay. Right? I like the opening sequence of Men in Black, mostly mm. because there's nothing particularly uh, visually spectacular going on, but right. you know, it's like uh, the music and you're following the bug and the way that it ends on the ending note and then the bug explodes on the windshield, like that whole thing. Yeah. If we're talking about how a, the a movie sequence, mood. opening sequence p- pulls you in, yeah. Right. Um, Music is also a big consideration here, by the way, because you could have text on on black. Like, for example, Star Trek, the motion picture yeah. is literally just text on black unless you count the director's the edition, music. which is a Starfield. But um, but the music is amazing. It's an amazing track. But anyway, yeah, sorry, go on. Um, Superman. Okay. Opening sequence. Very good. Yeah, Who bastard, could forget? That's one off my list. Um... I've written down Catch Me If You Can, because that is... another one off my list. Again, these are not, like, in any particular order. Mm-hmm. Um, Fight Club. Oh, Fight Club's good a good one. Good opening sequence. That's a good one. Casino Royale. Yes. I know you said no James yeah, Bond, yeah, well, but, like, it's really good. I guess we're, we're gonna... This is, like, of, of all time, I guess, but we, we we'll, when we do What's Our Bond number, we eventually mm-hmm. get round to that. So we'll probably do a, a top five James Bond title yeah. sequences where we're pitting them against each other. But anyway, go on. Yeah. Uh, and my last one is uh, X-Men 2. 
X-Men 2. It's the first one to use that um that theme opening theme. And it's also I think X-Men Days of Future Past is probably the most visually spectacular of those opening sequences using mm-hmm. that music. Right. But I really like X-Men 2's opening. Okay. So Go I've got Sweeney Todd. Oh, that is a good one. That is a very Shit. good one. Yeah. And that's like it's not Danny Elfman doing doing the the score, mm. but it's kind of evokes a Danny Elfman kind of feeling. Yeah. And uh, and the visuals are just classic oh, Tim yeah. Burton. Uh, North by Northwest, I love that opening, yeah. and I love the uh, the score by Bernard Herrmann. Panic Room kind of takes a leaf out of that with mm. the uh, sort of angled text, the sort of three D space text, sort of angled against buildings and things like that, and sort of motion tracked. Uh, I love the uh, the title sequence to the girl with the dragon tattoo, the uh, the David Fincher version. Oh, with all the black, like with all the black, like stuff. yeah, it's very. And it's uh, it's a very uh, James Bond like uh, title sequence, probably a kind of nudge nudge and a wink wink to the fact that uh, that Daniel Craig is in the movie. Uh, Spider Man, the first Spider Man, has an amazing oh, yeah. score and amazing visuals. I could watch that title sequence over and over yeah. and over again. Uh, another Tim Burton one, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice's opening sequence. Beetlejuice's opening sequence is uh, is flying over the, flying town, over the town and eventually it becomes yeah, yeah. the model. Um, and you've got the, the score. It's like very. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, uh, I, I was listening to that over and over again on a loop while I was drawing that um, Beetlejuice right. uh, <laughs> art. Um, the title sequence for Tintin. Yeah. Oh shit. I love that. That's yeah. a good one. Fuck. Um, Robin, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which is yeah, it's yeah. literally just Michael Kamen's score over the tapestry. Mm-hmm. First of all, the tapestry is beautiful, and the score is, um, I think, probably Michael Kamen's best score, most adventurous score. Anyway. Come a few bars for the listener. Um, yeah, you yeah. I'm probably gonna we should even, do that movie too. Yeah, I'm probably gonna <laughs> even me, it. play it um, yeah. you know, in the background there. Uh, yeah, Psycho, which is literally just um, white on black, um, but the but the text is kind of flying in from from either hmm. side, okay. and you've got Bernard Herrmann's score. Dun, dun. American Psycho. Do you remember the American Psycho title sequence? No. So American Psycho begins in a restaurant, and the title sequence leading up to that is knives and red substance that sort of becomes like a kind of um, uh, raspberry juice or something like that. And it's uh, it's you see that they're basically like creating the nouvelle cuisine. That Dexter uh, was uh, inspired by that. Oh, for sure, Adam's Family. Yeah, that's a good one as well. Mm. Yeah. These are all good. They're yeah. all very good. Yes. They're all very good. So we've just completely gone off book here, but uh, never mind. Let's have an episode. What's our seat number? Well, I've started talking in a northern accent oh, because I'm ranting. And for some reason, ranting in a northern accent is better than talking in my normal accent. So, fuck you. 
and fuck everybody and let's get on with the intro. I'm trying to think who you sound like. Is it Bernard Cribbins? <laughs> Bernard Cribbins. Not... Bernard Cribbins would not use that kind of language. It's rude, Mr. Faulty. I say no, rude. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I want a Waldorf salad. No, I've mixed them up now. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. It's a movie podcast. Yes. You don't have to know about TV. Hello and welcome to What's Our Seat Number. It's October 2023 and it's now officially spooky dillo season. Now I am going in the red and it's fucking You're also going northern (laughs) while you're doing the intro. (laughs) You notice that. I I swear it sounded like you said October. (laughs) It's October 2023 and it's now officially spooky dillo season. (laughs) This is the part. (laughs) I have to stop. Do it. All right. This is the part where we make a pledge to you, the listener, to watch and review as many spooky movies in the lead up to Halloween as possible. It's also the part where we break that promise due to lack of time and or presence of children. I'm Johnny Gross. I'm not Northern, which is why if you're Northern and you listen to this, I apologise. So go down to the pub, have a pint and calm your fucking tits off. <laughs> What's going on? What's really funny about that is that the listeners missing a sort of fundamental component of oh, what no, you're am doing. I doing something visual you in are. my face. You are, and it's so funny. <laughs> it's brilliant. What's, what is going on with my you face? You know how everybody sort of says to me, oh, Sai, you, you say you have a sense of taste, but half of the taste is in the smell, and you're missing a fundamental dimension. The fundamental dimension that the listeners are, are missing by not seeing your face is that you are doing a weird thing with your <laughs> teeth where somehow you're sticking them out more. Like, yeah, I know that, like, look at my face. <laughs> it's oh. really funny. Um, I'm but... Johnny Grass, one half of my <laughs> <He's laughs> doing it again, yeah. All right, <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm gonna dish that for the time being. I'm oh. Johnny Gross, one half and an unholy duo, and with me as always is my brother, the other half of said unholy duo. In case that wasn't clear, the wee timorous beastie who was petrified of today's film in his youth and subsequently all the shitty things I did to exacerbate that fear. But no worries, he's all right now. <laughs> It's Simon Gross. I feel like that works on two levels. Duo and duo works quite well. Oh, duo. 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 It's time for movie news. Movie news. Welcome to the 422 News. I'm your anchor, Arthur and Condoms. Today's top stories. Disaster hits toothpick convention as goat runs rampant, knocking toothpicks onto the floor. Onlookers were dismayed. That's our top story. In other news, an unfortunate mishap at the window factory after glassblower accidentally inhaled and was taken to hospital with stomach pain. (laughs) And finally, all toilets have been stolen. (laughs) I can't do this one. I don't think so. I don't think I can do this one with a straight face. And finally, all toilets have been stolen in local crime wave. Police are baffled as they apparently have nothing to go on. (laughs) (laughs) Took me a minute. Took me a second. Anyway, oh. that's the news. Oh, very good. After several long consecutive days of negotiations, the Writers Guild of America and the labor group representing studios and streamers have reached a tentative deal on a new contract in a major development that could precipitate the end of a historic 146-day writer's strike. What do you think about that? It's tentative, so I don't know how... Uh... Stable it is. Yeah. Well, the wind is blowing in the direction of the strike being over and, you know, sort of things resuming. I'm very interested to know 
what deal they've reached and whether or not they've come to any kind of um, agreement with regards to AI and regulation. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Well, I'm sure we'll find out as this new story uh, progresses. Yeah, so we'll see you back here in a few months for the next episode where that (laughs) news will no longer be relevant. Right. Following up on it will be moot. Right. Lindsay Anderson Beer is set to offer a fresh, unique perspective on Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Mm. delving into neglected fragments of the narrative and uncovering unexplored corners of the story. Like her previous work on Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, Anderson Beer is committed to exploring uncharted narrative territories, asking unasked questions and delving into the depths of the source material to offer a richer cinematic experience. I find it interesting that this item came up uh, in my researching this morning, uh, on the morning that we're doing a podcast on Sleepy Hollow. Hold on a second, hold on a second. What's wrong with the... uh current cinematic situation I don't think there's the anything story? wrong with the with the movie I don't think that's the I mean point. it's not it's not faithful to the source material I, as much I but, think um, that there's there's room for adaptations of this story like I don't think they're remaking this this isn't a remake of Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow No of course not right um or rebooting it in some way or using bringing back actors from the uh, to you know be the older oh generation. my god like, enough that already would be terrible, that. right yeah, yeah, yeah so i really liked the sleepy hollow tv series that even, was interesting even yeah. though it was like very that was also American, very much not but it was uh, very different yeah right? it was also very much not um anywhere near to the source material exactly and I, I have a question that's uh that's kind of relevant but kind of not in when talking about faithfulness to the source material do you think that Johnny Depp donning prosthetics to be a more accurate representation of the description of Ichabod Crane yeah. would have worked or not worked in the context of the movie that we got? I don't think it would have worked. I think it would have been... Um, well, it depends how big they went. Because he, he, if he was sort of thinking of the the disney animated yeah well he know, wanted Ichabod to ugly Crane. himself up I, I read there's also i didn't i got the the new uh, 4k steel book and it's got the story in it and i've never actually sat down and read the story oh you haven't you sure right so i'm, I'm doing i'm halfway through but cool. um but it's like it's kind of a, a steel book with a digi book inside it it's mm. like a kind of i'll show you in a second but like it has the uh, the original story printed in it and then you know you open it all the way up and the disc is in the back so um so it's interesting. You have I read such cool stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's called having nobody really regulating my money. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's the uh, the. So he's described as like you know long long fingers, long nose, spindly frame, all yeah. that stuff. Like he's not he's not good looking. He's not Johnny Depp. The interesting thing is that obviously we're going to talk about this later, and we're going to get into it. But they they talk about how Johnny Depp played him in a way that was unattractive personality wise, rather than in look. Yeah. But the the interesting thing is that the way the way that he plays Jack Sparrow is the same the same way that he plays Ichabod Crane is that he skirts the line between a kind of cowardly comedic um, character versus a heroic character. Because um, so, if you look at him in the in the sort of the the three way uh, axe fight. He's kind of heroic in that sequence. Like, he yeah. sort of gets into it. And it's like, well, that's kind of out of character. But, I mean, it, it, then you look at him and it's like, it's Johnny Depp. So I'm not sure that it necessarily... I mean, look, the one thing that I would have this maybe done... a great done, discussion to have in the middle of movie news. Yes. 
Correct. But like, I mean, the, I guess, I guess it would have <laughs> been being a dick. I'm sorry. No, but I, I guess it would have been a case of like, you know, cast somebody else who's well, a little bit more. Well, I think that if they would know, have Jay done or something, if they would have done prosthetics, they would have had to have done away with a lot of the action scenes in the movie. Right. Like, like if they were go- not if they were to have done prosthetics, if they would have been more um, faithful to the source material. Right. Um, it couldn't be the. It's. This is not an adaptation of that story. This right. is taking. This is Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, this the is same taking way that Tim character Burton's names Batman. and uh, right. atmosphere and um, sort of like the descriptiveness and the, you know it's it's something where you can see Tim Burton sort of his creations living in that short story's right. descriptive nature, right? Right. Um, it's it's when it's it's when you kind of give Tim Burton the reins and you say okay, but if you were to make a sort of really good time out mm, of it, right? And I love that, and I I, I like. Does she the say fact how she's going to uh, approach it, or is it just that? Well, that it's just that really, right. mm-hmm. but like uh, she seems uh, excited about it. So okay, I well, that's... I'm look any adaptation of Sleepy Hollow, I'm there. Me too, definitely. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about this story that's sort of like it's. Yeah, it's not, it's not exactly the. I mean, I like the New England horror, like or the New England Halloweeny stuff. The you know the sort of Salem witch trials yeah. and the hocus pocusy, uh, yeah, yeah. you know the the Vivitch, yeah. all that stuff, you know, and and it's all like the Fear Street way. movies also. But like this is uh, this is a, like a very similar kind of style, but you know, obviously upstate New York and not New England. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, like the the entire sort of general atmosphere of the story just oozes you know yeah. what i what i love about halloween you know so yeah anyway go on. also the fog and the the weird things that happen we'll talk about all of this later yeah it's just yeah. brilliant star trek 4 is apparently still on the tracks yeah as is stated by writer and director once again lindsay anderson beer who is writing the project oh really and apparently directing mm-hmm. and in a final piece of tim burton news uh tim burton's beetlejuice 2 Uh, embraces traditional filmmaking techniques, capturing magic in camera like the original did in 1988. Uh, It's about authenticity and the essence of the cinematic experience. Uh, I'm I really have been interested burned that. by that before. Yeah, Although, I, I was gonna say like I'll I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. But there have been. I uh, I would say that that Star Wars across the board since Force Awakens have embraced that. There's yeah. a lot of CGI in those movies, but there's also a lot of puppetry. If yeah. you look at the Mandalorian, it's full of puppetry. Yeah. And um and the Ahsoka the, as well. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet, but I, I'm uh, I'm saving it up so I can binge it. Mm-hmm. But the uh, and also the the LED volume is uh, is is really awesome. I can never tell. There's only a couple of shots here or there in the Mandalorian when I've gone that looks a little bit flat. Mm. But um, but for the most part, it sucks me in, and I can never tell. It's not like you know like like a blue screen or a green screen where you can always see yeah. the the composite. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, if he, if he's going with that, because his last like five movies or so have been very CGI heavy, mm-hmm. Miss Peregrine and Dumbo and I all that he's stuff. Gonna, I hope he's going to actually. And, and Wednesday. Yeah. Sort of embrace the old techniques. Me too. I, you know what no would de-aging. be, you know what would be great mm. is if he shot it on film. Mm. That would, it goes a that long would way. It, it really, would really It really goes a long way. Yeah. No, I'm 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 tentatively uh, excited for this, but again, I I, just, I, to, I told you like I watched Hocus Pocus two this week. Yeah. I also watch Hocus Pocus one because uh, I just got a new 4K TV, so I'm watching all of. I'm very 4Ks. excited. This is going to be my first experience yeah. with that. Yeah. No, but you've got a 4K TV as well. I so do, but uh, yours is bigger. 
It's bigger, but also, I mean, you you were able when we watched Van Helsing, we watched it in HDR. Yeah. So I could see some of the HDR like effects coming through and the lightning and all that stuff. But uh, uh, I think that there's uh, that your TV has certain limitations that mine it really possibly does, doesn't have. It's not a very expensive one because once mm. your child breaks a television, you go right. Oh, these things am, are not long for this world. I am on edge twenty four hours a day, seven days so a week when I. the kids are home. <laughs> so am I. Also, my youngest Get has started uh, throwing things in the living room, completely disregarding the no throwing things in the living room oh rule. My God. And uh, and he's doing it. Oh, purpose. it hurts! It hurts. I'm telling you, my Jeff. We're gonna call him. Like I, my son doesn't answer to his name, um, so I, I can I can stand there for for two hours straight calling his name, and he will not look up. Maybe so I've he started, doesn't identify with that name. He doesn't identify with no. So I started calling him Jeff, and uh, he answers to Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> it's Jeff Jeffrey Jefferson. Jeff D. Jeff, all that stuff. Oh my Lord. And um, so, so I'll just call him Jeff for the purposes of the podcast. Um, so Jeff uh, put his hands on my uh, James Bond collection this morning, the, uh, the books. And you know... No, 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 no. They'll crumble to dust. Babs knows that the books hail from the 1950s or the 1960s. They are originals. And, uh, and yeah, that icky, I, greasy, yucky fingers. Yeah. So anyway, yes, I'm, I'm on edge about my new LGCS. Thank you very much. Anyway, that's movie news. Movie news. As the title of our podcast is in the form of a question, we're going to once again play the quick fire movie questions game. Answer me quickly. I'm going to give you 90 seconds on the clock and you're going to answer lines of movie dialogue that are in the form of a question. Let's start the clock. And now. How much of your superiors explained to you, Constable? I know the I'll next g- bit. I'll give you the first I know the word. next bit. It's a, they get their heads severed from their baddies. That's okay, the well, I'll, I'll give you that. What's <clears throat> the beginning bit? Only that the three were slain in open ground. Yeah, damn it. Only that the three... Ah, oh, fuck a dick. Yeah. No, but I do know this movie. Okay, question number two. What's this? What's this? There's magic everywhere. Well, I'll give you that. There's color everywhere, but it doesn't matter. It could be any part of the song. Um... <clears throat> What dost thou call that? A child. Hmm. <laughs> what blast? The underground gas leak, genius. I'll give you that. You got an underground gas vein, genius. Yeah. Don't you know that eggs are poison? Poison indeed. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> what would be your motive? It's Scream. It's Scream, yeah. And he's playing with a Zillow. Mm-hmm, what does he mm-hmm. say? Hang on. Pass. It's the Millennium. Motives the millennium. are incidental. Motives are I was going to say irrelevant. All right, go. Okay. Would you please tell the court why it is that you and your co-defenders took it upon yourselves to dig a very big hole in the middle of First Avenue? Well, there are so many big holes in the middle of First Avenue, we really didn't think anyone would notice. Correct. Ghostbusters 2. Where were the other guys going? I don't know. I swear to God. Swear to me. Correct. What does the diary tell you that it doesn't tell us? And that is time. But uh, what I've would have started been the, uh, so final line. I've started so I'll finish. What does the diary tell you that it doesn't tell us? Is that Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the it's Sean Connery. Is. They're in the tank. I, I know. I know what you're talking about. I just can't. Which, it, yeah, yeah. No, no. I know what it is. Okay, I don't know. It the tells me. Like goose-stepping moron, shut it yourself, yeah. try reading books instead, instead of burning them. them. I was going to, ah, damn, always go with your gut side. There's it. one more question. Oh, yeah, okay. One but, more. Oh, time's so up, Johnny, might so as well, sorry, might sorry, as time's well, up. Mm-mm. might as well. Go on. The heads are 
gone? Taken. Taken by the headless horseman. Taken back to hell. Yeah, I'll give you that. Well done. Thank hey. you very much. That was Handsome Me Quickly. Handsome Me Quickly. I didn't do too badly on that one. You didn't do too badly at all. You got most of them. You want to see what we did? Uh, how much of your... Well, you got half a point on the first one. What's this? Yes. What does thou call that? What blast? Eggs of poison. What would be your motive? You didn't get that one. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, uh, holes on First Avenue. Where are the other drugs going? So you got, I would say, out of ten, you got mm, eight and a half. That's not bad. Not bad at I'll all. I'll take it. All right. Uh, what are the, the balloons? Do I get any? The balloons. <laughs> Well, you don't have to make the noise, Ewan. Let's talk about context. Today we're going to be viewing the film Sleepy Hollow. I'm imagining you have some things to say about this. What about you? What about me? Yeah. I remember... I remember seeing the trailer, and I watched it over and over and over again. And it's the the shorter one. That little Apple player. Remember that? Yeah, Apple trailers. I used to go on there all the time. And uh, there was the trailer that starts off with the uh, decapitation of uh, Jonathan Masbeth. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just a perfect trailer. I was really excited when I, uh, when I checked out the 4K disc and I found that the, uh, that the Blu-ray has that original trailer yeah. on it. It was the first thing I checked. <laughs> but uh, I just remember watching that over and over and over again. I don't think I got to see it in the cinema. It was 1999, so I got my first DVD player not long before that. And it, it was one of the first DVDs I got. And I was really excited. And I just, yeah, I just watched it over and over and over again. I have very similar context. Except yours yours involves pillows and hiding behind them. Yeah. Okay, so I remember the Apple trailer. Yeah. And I remember watching that over and over and over again with you. How old were you at this point? Uh, I was, it was, I was young. Oh, well, you were like eight? in England, yeah. Yeah. The first time that I watched the movie, I was how old? 12? I didn't watch a lot of horror movies. It wasn't really, you know, my thing. And I couldn't appreciate it then for the way that I appreciate it now. I just think it was it was uh, the most intense sort of experience for for me as as also being as a twelve year old still rather frightened of things, right? Um, and also, um, you know, I kind of think this was my first like horror experience, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a very intense experience for me. And, and I, I remember throwing up afterwards and I couldn't explain why, like whether it was the heads, it was the blood, it was the, the whole thing, the atmosphere, all of it together. And then I had nightmares about it. I don't remember you being difficult about it either. I don't think that you were, I, remember, I don't think you were nasty to me when we were in it. England, mm. we had the VHS of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, right? Did we? we? No, we didn't. I think we did. I think we did. We had, we had a we had the VHS, uh, and you watched it, and you were scared of it. And we had to. Was it that, or was it a different? Was it, it not? Was the, a, wasn't the Disney one? It was one? a CG. Um, ah, it wasn't the Disney it one. It was a. If you watch it now, it's on YouTube. It's mm. a really crappy CG retelling of the uh, uh, the original story. Right. Um, but we it, had it, it on VHS. That, that also that was also like they they weren't that wasn't for kids. Right. I think um parents, mother, someone who bought it for me. I don't remember. Did I ask for it? I need to be reminded. If you remember, Babs, I mean, no. headless horseman. I mean, it's not really. Conducive I, don't, I, don't, to... I don't remember how that got onto the the shelf. I do remember when we were moving, and we sold it or something, and I was like, oh god, it's gone. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
But but anyway, so later on when I started appreciating this sort of thing, like just I really love this movie now. We are gonna go and watch Sleepy Hollow in 4K Dolby Vision with my new soundbar and my new 4K TV 65 inch. I am Constable Ichabod Crane, sent from New York to investigate murder in Sleepy Hollow. How much of your superiors explained to you? Only that the three were slain in open ground, their heads severed from their bodies. Taken by the headless horseman, taken back to hell. He rode a giant black steed to look at him. Major blood run cold. Even today, the western woods is a haunted place where brave men will not venture. We have murders in New York without benefit of ghouls and goblins. You're a long way from New York, Constable. Is everyone in this village enthralled to superstition? We have many things to talk about, even in this backward place. Excuse my manner. I'm not used to. Female company? Murder! The horseman's killed again! The assassin is a man of flesh and blood, and I will discover him. Are you so certain of everything? Oh shit, you're recording that. Shit. So, Sleepy Hollow. He really is in it for about 30 seconds. So, first of all, I want to ask you, how was your experience? Oh my god, that is an experience though. Like, the TV's massive, the sound bar is incredible. I could feel gunshots like vibrating Mm -hmm. the couch Mm -hmm. it was great um yeah also just all the you can see all of the effects really really clearly which is really nice not Mm -hmm. not in a this is obviously an effect kind of way but like the layers like uh, you know you could see in the um in the blu-ray as well yeah that you know when he chops off a head the wound kind of smokes up yeah it's like the yeah. steam coming up as it's cauterized but you could really see it here like it was really really yeah. clear the so thing i noticed like right at the beginning was in um van garrett's uh coach mm-hmm. that like that it's it's dark but you can see the detail on the velvety yeah. like walls of the coach. All the textures in the film really pop. Yeah. Like the, yeah. The, even something as as natural as the leaves on the ground like really yeah. pop. But the the brickwork's great. The 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 way that you have when he comes into the town, you know, you see all the different houses, and the, you can really see like the grime and the 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 sort of chipped painted wood. Right. Right, it looks really layered. It's great. I like the sort of barbaric nineteenth-century yeah, New York prison. setting. Yeah, burn it. Um, it's it's very reminiscent of London. Okay. In the in the eighteen eighty yeah. eighteen nineties, whatever it was. So I like. I mean, if you if it hadn't have said New York at the beginning, I wouldn't have You'd known have it was New it York. Was... Yeah. Yeah. The cobbled streets yeah, and yeah. the you know all the British actors in it and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, don't think that these pills are worth millions they're not stop fucking that was him. that was him i know i know yeah. he has one say he goes with pleasure <laughs> yeah. he just sort of walks away burn it yes sir 
It's um, a duke from Layer Cake. Yes. Don't you fucking talk to me like I'm some kind of mug. Easy, don't you yeah. fucking talk to me like Dukes. Don't take this personally. It's business. Now, you want to know how much these pills are worth? Yes, fucking please. And obviously, uh, Alan Armstrong. Just a moment, if I may. We do not yet know the cause of death. When you find them in the river, cause of death is drowning. Whose son, uh, Joe Armstrong, plays Will Scarlet in the uh, Robin Hood... Um, what? What? In the Robin Hood BBC uh, adaptation. Oh. Yeah. How's the music for that go? How do you remember that? How do I remember that? Because I loved it. I used to watch it every week. Um, and we do not like. Oh, there's Jonas Armstrong. He's talking about. Yeah, there we go. Oh, God. Another another northern accent. Um, I love the guy grinning in the torture. I had to tell you to stop it. Because you were doing the accent while people were oh, talking, I was like, "Stop it!" <laughs> because one of the 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 what's his face, the redhead, the, the redhead, the, the father. Have to work. He was oh, a patrol officer. Gunpowder. His name's Gunpowder. Come on, giddy up, Gunpowder. His name's Gunpowder. He should do just fine. Just kidding. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, the at the beginning of the movie when they're in the courthouse. Mm-hmm. I just they're, they're having the, he's having this whole conversation with Christopher Lee Johnny Depp yeah. and you got this guy out of focus in the background in a torture device yeah. grinning yeah. the entire way through <laughs> yeah nothing else to say about that just wondering why well, I have a question there. about that sequence yes. so Christopher Lee says to him that he has to go solve the murder and come back with the with the murderer yes you will take these experimentations of yours to Sleepy Hollow, and there you will detect the murderer. Bring him here to face our good justice. He doesn't do that. How is he not going to get fired? Like, it's supposedly a happy ending, and he's like, and home is this way. But, you know, what yeah, happens when he goes I'll to work why. the next I'll day? I'll tell you what it is. Um, it's the beginning of the movie, mm. and then at the end of the movie, you're supposed to have forgotten that. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a little bit interesting, though, isn't it? I mean, like, it, it happens all the time. I feel. Yeah. You know that whole thing on the pitch meeting. The guy says, "Like we're only an inconvenience." No. So the guy, the guy says, uh, "Why is this, 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 and this?" And the other guy goes, "So the movie can happen." <laughs> right. Oh, so are we not going to come back to that? No, we're not going to mention that again. <laughs> That's where we're going with. Um, <laughs> so I think that there's no one better to like set the scene than Christopher Lee with that. Oh. No, well, I mean, Danny Elfman, but we'll, we'll get there in a sec. But but uh, Christopher Lee with that voice. It is you, Ichabod, Ichabod Crane. Crane. Remember, it is you, Ichabod Crane, who is now put to the test. I just think that with that Love voice them. and with those beady eyes. And with the wings behind him. Yes, just like just a wonderful way to set the scene. You had some uh, comments about the title sequence. Title sequence is very long, but never feels boring. So I, what I've written about it is perfect score once again, Mr. Elfman. Yes. Um, what a way to to set the tone. Like, it's always amazing to me how every single movie that Tim Burton does and he, um, you know, enlists Danny Elfman. There's is, always an overture. It, it's so perfect to the to the visual tone and and everything that's going on on screen it's such a great there's a reason they work together yeah there's a reason why they work together for like what is it 35 years now or something like that yeah 
And it's maybe great. more, maybe more. You what are can, we talking about? The eighty-five, yeah. I think they did Pee Wee's Big Adventure together. That was the first one they did. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a lot of uh, it's, it's a, a lot, lot of years. it's almost forty years. It's almost forty years. So you know, almost I, my I love entire that. life. But there was something about the uh, the opening sequence with the titles that you also pointed it out, but I've never noticed before is that the uh, the letters kind of linger. They and kind of interact around. with the environment. Yeah, there's a there's a moment where they're si- sort of glowing through the uh, yeah, the, the, the light rays. That, in, that, in the, that in the was fog. that was a shot that really surprised me. Mm-hmm. Like it really uh, it was something because you have uh, this beautiful shot of the forest and the light rays coming through the trees naturally. Mm-hmm. And then they enhance that with like the light rays also shining through the text. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a visual effect, right? But it's so well matched right. to what's behind it. And also you've got the autumn leaves falling and the letters fall into yeah. the, yeah. It's gorgeous. I, I, it's such a simple title sequence yeah but it's so sort of it's all scenery basically scenery and cleverly yeah. yeah like melded with the music and the visual the uh, final shot of the of the title sequence by the way mm. um with the uh with the path yeah, leading up to the van tassel mansion which is like some kind of like gothic uh horror uh cliche with the scarecrow in mm-hmm. the in the foreground and you know like that the, 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 you the know scarecrow the scarecrow's head clouds. is on fire Right, yeah. It's just, it's just brilliant. I mean, it, it's, it it's ominous. Everything that I see in this movie that looks like a cliche um, feels is, right at home. Feels right at home, and also wonderfully repurposed by Tim Burton into a sort of Tim Burton style, um, which in itself became a cliche after a while. I, I just think it's uh, the design of this movie is my probably my favorite thing about it. Yeah. My next one is uh, about the story scene where they're all sitting in the room telling him uh, about the uh, the Hessian. Yeah, and, and all those powerhouse actors in one yeah, room. Yeah, it's so And the rad. story being told by the dulcet tones of Michael Gambon. The horseman was a Hessian mercenary sent to these shores by German princes to keep Americans under the yoke of England. But unlike his compatriots who came for money, the horsemen came for love of carnage. When battle was joined, there you'd find him. He rode a giant black steed named Daredevil. He was infamous for riding his horse hard into battle, chopping off heads at full gun. He'd filed his teeth down to sharp points to add to the ferocity of his appearance. You've got Alfred Goff in there, you know, taken by the headless horse. Like all of these characters, Jeffrey Jones and Ian McDermott and uh, and Richard Griffith. Um, <laughs> why? Why? Because why of is the, it so hard for you? Because Griffith? of Yoan Grufford. I know, but it's, it's got like Yoan Griffith. Um, <laughs> it's Yoan. Yoan. Oh, don't get me. Don't get me started Bloody talking hell. Welsh. Um, all right. Uh, we. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about bed knobs and broomsticks the other day. Yeah. Wouldn't it, it be great if you could turn that into a, into a, horror, a horror movie? movie. <laughs> I got the children you ordered, Miss Price. <laughs> <laughs> he just come down from London. So I really love that scene. I love yeah. the the sort of horror around a campfire sort of vibe to yes. it. I think that's really cool. And then, I don't know how much longer after this. Murder! The horseman's killed again! <laughs> 
murder! The horseman's killed again! That guy, that guy. give him a fucking Oscar. <laughs> All right, there we go. That's uh, extra of the movie. <laughs> Round of applause. He wins the award. Oh, yeah, definitely him or uh, the Duke. The Duke. <laughs> from from uh, Layer Cake. Right. <laughs> With pleasure. <laughs> I found Christina Ricci to be probably the weakest part of the entire Indeed. Film. I find that her... I grizzle the, with you. Her delivery is very stilted, um, and I find that their relationship is also not particularly believable or um, anything Necessary. that I can find any empathy with. When my father brought us to Sleepy Hollow, Van Garrett set him up with an acre and a broken-down cottage. My father worked hard for his family and prospered and built this house, and I owe my happiness to him. Fast forwarding to the end of the movie for a sec before I forget. She is the rightful heir to Sleepy Hollow, basically, to the yeah. to the entire town. And she just basically buggers off to New York with Ichabod Crane and uh, and young Masbeth. Well, because um, 1990s and 2000s Hollywood, um, he has to get the girl... And she has to live with him at the end. They have to get married or they have to be together. It has to end. We want it happy. We want to keep it snappy. Really? You think that's it? Because... I, I, don't, I don't think that there's any particular merit to their relationship other than having a token romance. Yeah, you know, obviously. Like, right? And so that and I think she is... Was, she was is, the, the hot thing of the time. That, that's the explanation, though, in my opinion. Like, it's... it's uh, the only reason for her to up and leave is nothing motivated by plot mm -hmm. like there's nothing yeah. there that like because she stands to inherit a rather sizable estate oh so maybe that's how ichabod continues his living he gets fired but he lives off of her fortune <laughs> there you go there's your answer <laughs> yes i love the supernatural mystery in this movie um you know, you I, mean, are you talking about the whodunit yeah i'm talking about the the whodunit that's wrapped in like this magic right, right. um I really like that, and I like the fact that, you know, Ichabod Crane has to come to terms with the fact that he is deal dealing with something supernatural. Something and then that he, he can't rationalize. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then he's like, ah, but there is someone human behind all of it, right? Someone pulling the strings. But it's also wrapped in this, at times, really frightening package right you know i think that that sequence where the family gets killed right. is probably the most disturbing sequence in the whole film yeah definitely um because the, f the first of all it starts with the faces in the fire mm -hmm. which were really clear on, <laughs> on, on right. this one and it's so subtle it's such a subtle effect it's such a subtle shot but it's like really otherworldly yeah the mother's head rolling along the floor and sort of landing uh, with the, her eyes crack. looking through the crack of the floorboard is like and the really, sun. The sun is the, the, sun the is like five-year-old sun is under the floorboards and can see her it, eyes. It's really there. like because because yeah. you kind of put yourself in his shoes and 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 yeah. you're also thinking about oh as an adult like I don't want my child to see that sort of thing. It's always it always comes back to that. Right, 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 right. right. Um, and then and then they they kind of you you always like to use the phrase uh, pulling at the audience's pigtails right when yeah. you're talking about like mm -hmm. Tim Burton or whatever or Sam Raimi instead so you've seen the shot of the the eyes through the floorboard crack and then when the horseman goes to pick it up again it right back to that shot again mm. as the eyes are lifted away from the floorboards so creepy and like yeah. I was kind of like no I'm done I don't want to see it again <laughs> so so that was yeah I've written here yikes at the end of that um paragraph that i wrote about it it's pretty horrific yeah. and also burton doesn't spare the kid 
Um, no, he doesn't. Which is I really thing, appreciate that. Which is another thing that's uh, that's interesting because, uh, look, first of all, in terms of the sensors, mm-hmm. they wanted to give them uh, a higher rating um, because originally that shot where you see just the end of him stuffing the head Closing into the, the bag. drawstring on the bag. Yeah. Originally, that was longer and you saw the, the no, child's the head going head into going. the... Yeah, the, and the sensors thought that was a little bit too much. So he quite rightly scaled that back a little bit. But the question I have is um, there's, a, there's a reasoning behind each and every one of the killings and yeah. um, the... Well, because they all sit somewhere along that family tree. Right. Why did he go back for the kid? It's all descendants... Right? right, there has to be no one left except for Miranda Richardson. Mm-hmm. So, so well, she ordered him to go back question. for the kid. What? So she ordered him to go back for the kid. She o- probably ordered him to kill, to the, kill whole the whole family. family. Mm. I have a different question. Okay. If Tim Burton was able to kill a kid, which is not nece- was not necessarily the done thing, it's still mm. not. Like I think that there are a few uh, movies where a kid gets killed. Right. The only reason um, to do that is to sort of underline the fact that nobody's safe. Yeah. The opening of A Quiet Place, we've mentioned that oh, before. Oh, man. Um, that, that is to... That wrecked me, that it, bit. It's also the the feeling of nobody being safe, but also the pain and desperation of this world, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I always try and... I, I had someone saying to me, oh, I'm watching The Last of Us, and it's too violent, and it's too... you know, And, and this is someone who's my age. I was like, this world is ravaged and it's a different world and it's more desperate and it's more, you know, the, the raw, the, the raw feelings are all brought up to the surface. So, you know, just as you have like horrible people who will do horrible things, there's also these incredibly loving moments, right? Mm-hmm. How love and, 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 you know, Neil Druckmann's talked about it as well. Like, you know, he made the, the game and mm-hmm. also he worked on the, the TV show. Um, that it's not about hate, it's about love, right? Love in desperate circumstances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and about the cycle of violence. So, so you know, now kind of we see a lot more like, you know, I, I'm not happy about saying it, but dead children, right? Right. If it, in this movie he was able to do that, why did we need to have the token romance where the hero gets that? Like that, why is that following the normal path? Right. Because I don't feel like that was a natural trajectory well, for I th- either I of think them. The, the, perhaps the wires from one to the other are disconnected in Burton's head because, Maybe, yeah. I mean, look, I, I find that his um, his ability to do normative romance and when Mm -hmm. i say normative i'm not talking about um you know man and woman and nuclear family i'm talking about just depicting love Mm -hmm. i think that that in order for him to to really like sort of portray a relationship it has to be um dysfunctional and screwed up like for example uh batman and catwoman you know, like you, you don't really buy Bruce Wayne's relationship with Vicky Vale, but I can totally buy yeah. Bruce Wayne's relationship with Selena Kyle. Yeah. Um, and they're doomed from the offset. If it's not something that he's comfortable with doing something, a straight A to B romance, like, uh, why you know, is it there? Why is it there? Exactly. Yeah. I think that, that in terms of, um, in terms of having the horseman go back and get the child, um, I think it's it's also like something to do with the with the pigtail pulling. It's like mm-hmm. you know the you think the, the, oh the child's going to be okay. He's going to be scarred. Right. It's be the fine. audience going oh, shit. oh god, how far is he going to go? He's not going to stop. He's relentless. You know, like he's mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not talking about the horseman. I'm talking about Tim Burton. Uh, so 
I thought you meant the horse metaphor. Right. Because I was thinking in the movie thus far, they've, you know, shown that he doesn't stop. Right. Right. He keeps going. Right. Uh, the, but then you know, there's the uh, there's the whole thing with uh, with Brom Bones. Yeah, and he gets uh, bisected, no? Right. Um, which uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, I I find that Casper Van Dien is uh, not the greatest actor in the in the world. And also not the yeah. And who are you, friend? We have not heard your name yet. I have not said it. Excuse me. You need some manners. He's not the greatest, but like I feel that. Why um, do you think he was cast? Because he was the hot thing after after Starship, Starship Troopers, Troopers. Yeah, you reckon? Yeah, but in Starship Troopers, he's uh, he's supposed to be hammy. That whole movie has like an air of mm-hmm. hamminess to it that uh, that Paul Verhoeven baked into it, in the same way that that he did with Robocop and Basic Instinct. And you know, he's he's got this kind of schlocky kind of style that's uh, that's kind of melodramatic in a way that's uh that i that i i think is part of his sort of grand plan mm-hmm. when he makes a movie um so here i find him to be just a little bit just a little bit out of place it needed to be somebody who could uh who could he, make he an impression have, in that role they, they, they just should have continued with the high caliber british actors right and, and the other thing is that he doesn't really make an impression in terms of his purpose in the movie his purpose in the movie is well there's two purposes one is to be jealous, um, jealous <laughs> and that's there's one shot that shows that which is when katrina no when, when katrina uh ki- well there's two shots then <laughs> katrina kisses him kisses ichabod at the party yeah the pikety witch the pikety witch um so and then you see them part and then the focus shifts to casper van dien and he's like looking at them like how eh. dare you even though that's the the aim of the game right um and then and then and then the he puts it yeah he puts his arm around her at the, the funeral, funeral at uh, jonathan masbeth's funeral and looks at ichabod like mind his real purpose is to be the brom of the of the short story to kind of provide a continuity between the short yeah. story and the and the movie, and also the uh, the the Ichabod and Mister Toad, the animated movie, is to be the the sort of uh, red herring fake out of the headless horseman and throw the pumpkin. Yeah. But then when he gets bisected, I mean, it's a it's just a really cool gore moment yeah. for anybody who loves uh, who loves a good bit of gore in their movies. Once Miranda Richardson sort of reveals herself, mm-hmm. um, and she says, "My family name was Archer." Right, there's a scene earlier in the movie where Ichabod Crane and and Katrina go into the woods and they, they look go at to the, her old the house. remains of her old house. Right, and there's like a an archer etched into the 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 metal under the fireplace or right. something. Look, see, carved into the fire back, the archer. I've forgotten it. This was from long before we lived here. Who are you? My family name was Archer. The Archer. And she goes, Archer? The Archer? And then yeah. it flashes back to that fireplace. I would imagine, I, you know, because I went, yeah, that's weird. And then I kind of got the point as she was talking. Um, she used to live there and then they were kicked out. And then they, out, kicked, out, and then they the, kicked them out. And I'm, I'm imagining that the Archer is their family crest. Ah. And like the Van Garretts is the windmill. Oh. Right. Okay. The Van Garrett had the flower empire right. and right. So, uh, so yeah, they, they nice. kicked them out of, uh, of the house and then, um, and then they're living in the woods, the two sisters and she, she becomes a witch. They both become witches. One slightly more successful than the other. Right. Well, I mean, they both 
ended up in in the shit to be honest ichabod's father in the uh in the the last flashback yeah um he walks towards the camera and then as he's walking away as he's walking away from the camera he seems to be without a head i've always wondered about that what is that all about i think that i would sort of connect it with bringing evil to justice like murder like it's the the headless horseman in the movie is the conduit for murder right Right. and death Mm mm-hmm and I think that until he met the horseman, Ichabod probably saw crime and death as being wholly connected with his father. Probably right. his need to be a, a constable that's, you know, solving crimes. And, you know, in that moment where they switch places, he then sees this kind of like mix between his I'm father what, and the head. I always wondered horseman. about that, though, because I, I always sort of rationalized it in the past as... He's just really hunched over, mm. like it. But now no, but on this on this transfer, a, a... it really looks like he's not got a head. Yeah, no, um, no. It's and a also, purpose, it's um, uh, it's just, I symbolic think, moment, right? It is, and it, and if I'm not mistaken, it comes right after he gets stabbed after the fight with Brombones. That yeah, flashback. I think so. So he's probably hallucinating, and he's it's the fever. The the two worlds kind of yeah, collide. Exactly. Right. Okay. So, so what there I'm you saying go. Is that that's a question that I've of... now had answered. Well, I mean, listen, that, that that's just my answer, right? It's a, uh, it's a. Uh, I think it left it open to interpretation entirely. Like it could be that the real world horrors that he's facing are intermingling with his past mm-hmm. uh, trauma, and it's sort of triggering him, right? Like that's yeah. uh, that's another explanation for it. Those flashbacks are wonderful. Also, and the music horrible. The mu- uh, yeah, the, there's a there's a, a a great mesh of like that sort of wistful, dreamy nostalgia mm-hmm. with the uh, with the leaves and the blossoms and her and That's Lisa floating. Marie floating in the air, um, and then you've got the the you know sort of blood drenched horror of uh, of you know the reality of, of his past, mm-hmm. um, and I, I just I, I think it's a uh, it's a it's a precursor to Big Fish that came uh, like a few years later, but it just also shows that. Aside from his usual repertoire, um, that he had some really wonderful, like, artistry to him that, that he's since kind of lost a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but like, really well, creating these beautiful, dreamy it images. He's, you know, pinning all of his hopes on, on CG. You know, like, not he's... just that. I think also he's kind of sold himself a little bit to the corporations. Like, the, this movie was the last movie he made before he kind of there, there was a turn at the uh, at the at the turn of the century. If well, you will. like uh... after Planet of the Apes, he started making Willy movies. Wonka. There was Willy Wonka. There was Alice in Wonderland. There was Dumbo. There was uh, Miss Peregrine, which was also like it was an adaptation of a book, mm-hmm. but very much kind of. I liked Miss Peregrine. I didn't like I didn't, it. I, I, I thought I thought that, that the acting was pretty awful. I thought there was too much CGI. And again, I don't like it when Burton doesn't shoot on film. Mm-hmm. I think that that his style needs the grittiness of grain and the dreamlike quality of film stock. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and to me, like digital kind of sanitizes his his look, makes it kind of ugly to me. I just think that with the exception of Sweeney Todd and Big Fish, he he made like a lot of sort of cynical movies after this one what do you think of the the when everything all goes to shit in the church scene there's just chaos yeah and the 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 inventiveness of the horseman not being able to cross the the threshold and then spearing baltus van tassel played by michael gambon uh with the uh with the picket of the fence spike 
Yeah. I'm trying to think of an answer that's more interesting than I loved it. It's, well, it's like... <laughs> that's valid. No, it, it's valid. It's just not particularly interesting for a podcast. It, it, there's... There's something very, like you said, sort of like panicky about it, right? Yeah. I really like the shot from the trailer that we mentioned uh, earlier where, you know, the, the lightning flashes and it kind of zooms in on Ichabod as they right. close the doors. As he turns around, yeah. As he turns around yeah. and then he turns around again and then we see everything from his perspective of everybody sort of like panicking, panicking and running. Going nuts. What I really like about that scene is how quickly all three of them die right <laughs> you know one of them ian mcdermott gets whacked on the head enough of dying already it's time to confess our sins what is it that you know your four friends played you false we were devilishly possessed by one who right then michael gambon shoots jeffrey jones jeffrey jones yes <laughs> and then, then michael gambon then michael gets... gambon gets skewered there is a conspiracy here and i will seek it out Um, one sympathizes it's really well well put together i can't i can't answer your question without just saying i love it. it yeah we got all of miranda richardson's confession and then just the other day that silly midwife killian told me the widow had told her a big secret and she told me this right in front of her husband what a goose <laughs> so Another little job for the horseman. She's not a great actress. I don't. I mean, she is a great actress. I just. I think that she's that she's like she's been given carte blanche to uh, to ham it up, and she's over hamming it. I find that whenever someone is doing the evil voice. And they're yes. doing the uh, the confession right. thing. Right, she's doing the evil voice. No, no, no. Too late. Too We've late. all you heard you doing the... the evil voice. And the two shades of lipstick were identical, which means that only you, Mademoiselle Brown, could have placed a cigarette case underneath the body. Surely, Monsieur Varon, you're, you're not accusing me of murder. Indeed I am, Mademoiselle. Murder of the most treacherous and the most ingenious. Heavens. Surely you can't mean that, Waron. It is of the most regrettable that I do. Is this true, Susan? Yes, Freddy. I'm very much afraid that it is. Yes, I did kill Lord Carnington. My God, Waron. She's doing the evil voice. Indeed, <laughs> I always know I have got some when they start doing the evil voice. What? Yes. Once again, I had no evidence. It has been a hell of a week, to be honest with you. But once they have done the evil voice, you know it is the murderer. No! No! I really don't know how this could have happened, Monsieur Voron. No, no, too late. We've all heard you do the evil voice. Only murderers do that. <laughs> ah, alas, she is now sexier and she was smoking a cigarette from an evil cigarette holder. <laughs> That's a sketch from uh, that Mitchell and Webb look where they're doing the Poirot uh, yes. confession sequence. But anyway, whenever someone is doing a sneer, Yes. You know, when they're talking. Drives me crazy. It's such a forced evil thing. Like, you know, the scarier thing is when someone is talking about their crimes like it's they're talking about shopping. You know, like it's it's really normal. And they're not like proud of themselves or anything. Like, you know, that 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 kind of so I don't mean to say that she's a bad actress in general. I mean that her acting in this particular sequence is a little... Yeah, she's over, she's over, overshot yeah. just a little yeah, bit. So she's All not Nicolas Cage. You have everything now. No! You have, my dear. By your father's will. I get everything in the event of your death. 
what you had. You're just in time to get your head cut off. <laughs> it's yeah. It's I. Is it a commitment thing? Because you're always hearing actors talking about um, if you're going to do something like that, then you have to commit to it fully and you have to yeah. buy into it. I don't know. I just I love everything that's going on around it, and she's yeah. just kind of wandering around. It's just like, oh, shut up! Already. Don't lose your head. Yes. She brought it on herself. By helping you and your master. <laughs> You're just in time to have your head cut off. Watch your head. Shut up. Yes, quiet. But then, you know, you have the whole windmill sequence and the... Oh my god, the design there yep. of that whole thing. And yep, the, the bat wings. The bat wings of yep. the... Uh, and it's all worn and, and falling apart. and Such good set design. The last thing that I've written here is that uh, there's lots of fainting in this movie. Yeah. Mostly on the part of Johnny Depp. Well, it's like Johnny Depp, and I think and Katrina, Katrina. Uh, goes like twice. So. I think she only found. Uh, oh yeah, twice. Yeah, yeah once yeah. in the church. Yeah, <sighs> and then and again once, uh, when she sees a horseman. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Christopher Walken. I'm sure if it was anybody else. It probably would have been fine, but he does look like he's in pantomime makeup. He is absolutely <laughs> out of place. He is yes. the definition of out of place. Anyway, I thought that bore mentioning, or maybe it was just a well, bore. bore indeed. Yes. Um, <laughs> and now we're going to go over to trivia. Waiting for you. No? No, no trivia corner? No. Why not? It's might be you. Nah, I don't want to do it today. I'm on me break. All right, we'll finish your fag and then uh, let's, let's get on with it. Oh, for God's sake. Trivia corner. Trivia corner. Well, no, no, I'll do it properly. I'll do it yeah. properly. Go on, do it again. Do it. Trivia. Trivia corner. corner. God, you're on in a strop today, aren't you? <laughs> it were only after being cast as the Headless Horseman that Christopher Walken admitted to director Tim Burton that he actually did not know how to ride horse. How to ride horse. <laughs> how to ride horse. It's happening again. Johnny Depp did all of his own stunts for the final scene where he is dragged by the horse. Mm -hmm. He had bulletproof clothing underneath his wardrobe. Yeah, apparently so padded that they could step on him. <laughs> oh, the other thing is, by the way, Johnny Depp uh, got... Um, I remember seeing in the documentary that Tim Burton enjoyed torturing him by spraying blood yeah. at him whenever he could. Um, which every time I see that scene where he's hacking at the I'm thinking at of the that tree too. branch, I can see Tim Burton. Tim laughing. Burton is off screen flinging blood at his face. Uh, there's a there's a thing on YouTube like a featurette where they're talking about it, and you can yeah. see him laughing off to the side. Johnny Depp initially found the idea of Christina Ricci being his love interest in this film to be rather odd, seeing as he's known her since she was nine years old. They first met on the set of Mermaids as Depp was dating Winona Ryder at the time. Wow. There is quite an age gap there. I think she was what was she about nineteen or something when she was in this movie, and he was already like thirty, 30. Or thirty odd, yeah. It's, uh, I don't know, there's uh, there's a bit of an age gap there. Uh, historically, yeah. Ichabod Crane was a very unattractive man. Johnny Depp offered to add prosthetics to his face to make himself look ugly, but director Tim Burton wanted to base the character on Crane's more unattractive personality traits, his reported squeamishness and eccentricity, yeah. which does come through in certain scenes. I noticed a lot more sort of heroism in this movie than I really noticed before, mainly because we talked about it. Yeah. There's quite a few moments like he, you know, getting up on the chair and when the spider appears, yeah. there's the... It's just a spider. Kill it! Kill it! No! No, stun it! He was a horseman and did one. 
headless. Um, and then he faints. You do not know because you're not there. It was a headless horseman. You must not excite yourself. But it was a headless horseman. Of course it was. That's why you're here. No, you must believe me. It was a horseman, a dead one. Headless. I know, I know. You don't know because you were not there. It's all true. Well, of course it is. I told you. Everyone told you. I saw him. There's a lot of fainting, whatever, but like the it the more he does that, the more it sort of accentuates his more heroic qualities because he sort of um sort of barrels through, mm-hmm. even though he's incredibly squeamish and and whatever, and he needs to do uh, an autopsy on the widow Winship or on uh, Jonathan Masbeth or whatever. Yeah, he really doesn't he like blood, of, but he he he's grins powers and bears through. It, he powers yeah. through. So he is more of a of a heroic character than than the one in the uh, in the story and uh, and in oh, for in the cartoon and uh, more th- than mean, probably he's also they... a schoolmaster in the yeah the horse that Ichabod Crane rides provided a lot of amusement for the cast and crew because it was extremely flatulent <laughs> oh, that means it farted it up Tim Burton inc- <laughs> Tim Burton included scenes as an homage. It's written here as an homage because it's to homage original. to the to Disney's animated version of the Sleepy Hollow Tale, uh, featured in the Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. These include the scene in which Ichabod Crane crosses the covered bridge and hears the frogs underneath croaking Ichabod and Headless Horseman. <laughs> The following chase sequence where Ichabod is run down and unhorsed, apparently by the Headless Horseman, and the moment in the climactic chase scene in which Ichabod runs into a tree limb, is thrown through the air, and ends up landing on the Horseman's horse backwards. At the start of the three-way axe battle with Ray Park, Johnny Depp, and Casper Van Dien, Van Dien broke the index finger of his left hand. Although it was extremely painful, he carried on without telling anyone, as he didn't want his part cut short. Would be extremely, extremely painful. painful. <laughs> You're a big guy. For you. The exteriors were shot with a blue filter, so for the blood to appear red, the liquid used had to be bright orange. That's I remember it. you telling me That's that. That's also so in the feature. Oh, hang on. Yeah. Here we get a chance to talk about the nice brother that you used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that uh, you didn't give me a hard time about the fact that I was really frightened by the movie. Mm-hmm. And I seem to remember you coming into my room later and sort of being like, did it really frighten you? And I was like, yeah. And you said, well, what if I tell you a little bit about how they made it? And then you, you know, and you told me about the the orange blood thing Mm. and how it was like, you know, it's just a filter. It's not really red. Yeah, it looks like carrot juice. And, And I was like. Oh, okay. And that did help a little. Oh, so it okay. was a nice well, thing. For the listener nice who made thing. it all the way here, <laughs> there's one. The crew of the movie built the small town of Sleepy Hollow. I love this. Built the small town of Sleepy Hollow, complete with rooms, floors, and stairs. The town was dismantled after filming was completed. That's a shit. shame. No, because like they, they do that a lot. They take down sets, but you know... If a movie's successful, especially 20, 30-odd years later, people are going to want to visit. And if you made the whole... It's not just a set. They made the whole flipping yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would have loved to have visited there. Yeah. The fake forests built on the sound stages became, quote-unquote, real forests by the time they wrapped. They, came in, they became infested with bugs and birds, said Tim Burton. The sounds of birds in this movie are often that of real uninvited <laughs> creatures that had made their homes in the trees. It's really love funny because it. it's not actually you know 
designed to look like a forest it's like this very oppressive clump of you know very scary looking trees yeah it's so hyper realistic and really, also the lightning really the lightning that that uh that goes on uh every time you know there's the horseman, uh, comes, the horseman comes it's not realistic either it's supposed yeah. to be hyper stylized oh, no, i'm i'm saying it as a good thing not as yeah a, yeah no i'm saying like it's uh it's everything's very stylized yeah it's just funny that um that you know, that that happened. The scene where Crane sees a spider crawling along the floor of his room was devised on the spot. <laughs> I always find this hilarious. Somebody, I, I don't have a, a you know, a, an identifier for who said the quote here, but um, it says here, we always seem to have spiders and bugs on the set, although I don't quite remember why, but every day there was a guy there with bugs, so one day we just decided to use some. <laughs> Who was the guy, the creepy bastard with all the spiders hanging out on the set, uninvited? Ray Park, who created his best-known role as Darth Maul in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom, Men- the Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace. It was in the same year, in 1999. Uh, yeah. Was the fighting and stunt doubles for the Headless Horseman. Tim Burton credits Park with giving the char- with giving the character a great sense of movement. The character doesn't have a head, so you don't have much to go, much else to go on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The windmill was too large to be constructed on a soundstage because it was over five stories high. The sails alone weighed over two tons. Wow. So they didn't just build the the entrance and and a miniature. They built the whole thing. Brilliant. While director Tim Burton admired Andrew Kevin Walker's original script, Andrew Kevin Walker, for uh, for reference, wrote seven. Okay. um, He hired the famed playwright and Academy Award-winning screenwriter Tom Stoppard, a script doctor. Stoppard did an uncredited rewrite to tone down the violence of Walker's script. I hate to think what it was before. Mm. The Scarecrow, when Peter Van Garrett, uh, played by Martin Landau, gets his head cut off by the Headless Horseman, is the opening pumpkin and Scarecrow from The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, cool. In order to escape the Headless Horseman, Ichabod sets fire to the windmill. Instead of simply burning down, the windmill explodes in a huge fireball. This would be due to a dust explosion, which is when fine powder suspended in the air like flour is ignited. In the US alone, there have been nearly 100 people killed as the result of dust explosions in, fire, in flour mills. The more you know. Wow. And that was Trivia, Trivia Corner. Corner. All right, your turn. I've got nothing left. I'm done. And I'm spent. <laughs> I'm going down to it, Bob. VFX Hattic. Already um, you're not going with, come with me. And oh, into right. That's already come with me. Just put it in. Come with me and step into the spine tingling confusion known as size rambling cavalcade of nonsense. <laughs> Director Tim Burton. Asked ILM's Jim Mitchell, who brought CG Martians to life in Mars Attacks, to oversee Sleepy Hollow's visual effects. Uh, To minimize ILM's workload, Mitchell also initially uh, lobbied to do the Headless Horseman the old-fashioned way, which is to have, you know, fake shoulders put on top of an actor's shoulder, Mm -hmm. and then it sort of sits on top of the Which is exactly what Brom Bones did in the movie. Exactly, and I think that the reason that that sequence is so important to have um, is that it really highlights why they couldn't have done it the old-fashioned way. Right. Because the proportions look wrong. Right. His arm is basically coming out of where his stomach would supposedly be. Right. So the anatomy doesn't work. He would look like SpongeBob SquarePants. And it, and it looks off no matter who you are. If you understand anatomy or no, you're looking at it and you're going, it looks off. Right. So that when it's revealed that it's sort of like these sandbags on Brombone's uh, shoulders... Um, you kind of go, oh, okay. 
But then when you see the Headless Horseman later on, you can really respect the amount of work they put into that effect. Do you they, see Do you see the join there? Because I don't, and I've seen this movie so many times, I and I'm a nitpicker. I saw it in one shot in the... Uh, two shots. One shot in the uh, fight with uh, Brom Bones and Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. And Ichabod Crane. Right. And uh, another shot in the, uh, the where he's murdering the family, where he's mm-hmm. fighting with the uh, with the father. What's what do you see there? So I can see the collar uh, is CG. Like I can see the ah, collar replacement. Okay. So let me let me talk a little bit about what right. they did. No, so, because like in in 1999, I would never have noticed anything like that. I think it's like almost seamless. It, it is almost seamless. I only because I know it's there. Oh yeah, of, um, course, of course. So they eventually decided that the headless horseman would be an actual person riding the horse and flinging right. his axe around. Except mm-hmm. they would just digitally erase his head, which we said Ray Park had a, a blue hood on, right? Right. And nowadays um, they would have just had the horse and the rider be CG. Yeah. yeah. Jim Mitchell did uh, Mars Attacks, right? Right. Uh, there's a lot of visual effects shots in that movie. Uh, the visual effects shots in this film are... Uh, there aren't that many. There's somewhere between 150 to 300 shots. Jim Mitchell, who, who was visual... You know, he was supervising those VFX. He, he says there were 300 VFX shots just for the Headless Horseman. Either way... That isn't a lot compared to the odd Marvel movie that's got somewhere between 2,500 to, t- to 3,000 VFX shots, which means that the majority of shots in this film are all practical. Mitchell sort of divvied up the horseman shots between ILM and London's computer film company, uh, marking the first time an ILM effects artist was simultaneously supervised at another visual effects uh, facility, right? So despite the different locations, you can really not see the joins very well. Like, it's really very consistent. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about the process of how they removed the head. First, they removed the head, obviously, using keying, um, getting rid of the blue, and then there's a hole in the footage, right? And then you've got... You'd have to have a plate, right? Right, so... A little bit difficult when there's all this fog rolling around and, and there's camera movement. They're not all lockdown shots. So they had to go in and they had to find like parts of the plate that they could repaint in. Um, in certain sequences, they if, uh, if Ray Park's head uh, passed over Johnny Depp in like a fight, they had to go and replace, frame by frame. replace his head, hmm. right? Uh, taking from, you know... Replace Johnny Depp's head? Yeah. Huh. In 1999? Yeah. And we're not talking about CG elements. We're talking about... uh, So let let me read this to you. Talking about compositing. Because people think, like, if you put, like, a green glove or a green hood on somebody, that, like, you know, you can just key it out and disappears. But people don't take into account what happens to the background. Right, exactly. So, you know, you you always see, like, oh, there's, uh, you know, we've got Andy Circus in this suit. Right. right, and he's that. Oh, which is take shots, him out and replace him with, a, with an animated where character. He's, they had to shoot those twice. They had to shoot every Gollum shot twice, mm-hmm. right? Where they would have the actors acting against, doing exactly the same thing without him there, right? And then they could put in the CG version of him where right. they, he was where there they for reference. Out. He was there for reference, yeah. exactly. And the same thing so, that they did with Roger Rabbit, where they used uh, models and and whatever for eye lines. Yeah, exactly. They never shot anything with motion control, so there was mm-hmm. a lot of like handmade 2D tracking to match everything up and frame by frame paintwork to replicate the backgrounds. That's wow. a lot of work, Jesus. right? Um, think about how many shots in this movie have a foggy or smoky background. And they had to... Like, those are really hard elements to match up. I would so, say anything exterior. Yeah, everything. 
right? So equally tricky shots were fight scenes in which the faces of actors Johnny Depp or Castor Van Dien were blocked by the horseman's blue hood. They had Depp go through the same actions without the horseman in the shot and insert his head into any frames where the horseman's head was blocking it. Oh, now I have to look at this frame by frame. The CG artist would then put the collar back on Right. In order to complete the effect, that's what sells it. Because one, if in all the shots where you see him from from any angle, right, you've you've got this. You can see that there's a collar there. They had to replace that and texture it and light it and match move it. Mm-hmm. It's really good. So yeah. the fact that I saw it in two shots is only a because I knew it was there, and b because there's a budget and there's time limit, and you can't. Right. Yeah, but I think that's really cool. Now. Practical effects, there are numerous practical effects. The, some of my favorite ones, I love that Tim Burton asked that when someone gets decapitated, that their head should spin, mm-hmm. right? So they had fake heads made of, of the different actors. They're really who, good. Who di- they're, they're really very realistic. The dead look that they give to the eyes, you know how they did that where they make it look a little glazed over? Right. Really, really good. So you've got these uh, these bodies, right? With a kind of motor in the neck area. Yep. And then it spins around and around and around, then the head falls off. And then they also had these mechanical bodies that at the press of a button would first of all Crumple. buckle at the knees yeah. and then the ankles mm-hmm. and then have it fall over. It's that shot where the magistrate gets killed. Yeah. The head rolls. You see that whole, like there are several times where you see heads like spin around. The second one where I really noticed it was Michael Gambon's head also spins off. So there's so much practical work that's being done. And the fact that if you think about this whole thing we've talked about with, with Ray Park is that they were just replacing the head right Right. like it's a lot and a lot of work but it's in support of the practical effect right right they wanted to go practical and they used visual effects to enhance it right it is once again the same flipping line that i say in every using using the tools to realize the story exactly to bring this thing to life and, and and if anything it brings you closer to it instead of disconnecting you from it the only really overtly CG shot in the movie uh, that I noticed, anyway, was the uh, the shot where Christopher Walken puts his head back on. Yeah. Well, well, when it's he goes great. from Ray Park to to Christopher Walken, um, he puts the skull on the uh, on the on the neck, and then the uh, the the sort of flesh grows around it. Yeah. And he becomes Christopher Walken. You were very excited about that. You want to tell me a little bit well, about what think excited this you? This is 1999. Right. Do you see how many layers are going on there? So that's the another animation. thing. Do you like remember? Got... Did you see Hollow Man? Hollow Man. Yeah yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that effect also gets me super hard. Like I'm not joking. <laughs> like the the there is, I think, something to be marvelled at, mm-hmm. right? When you think about the person the, or the team working on this, their understanding of anatomy and musculature right and in this one the veins also in hollow man right right and you know you you've got like the muscles pulling up onto the skull which is then you know cover covered by some tissue and then you've got veins twine intertwining with the rest of it Mm. hair sprouting out of random spots um his tongue comes uh, you know out of his mouth and then there's like a, a shot where you know his eyes and his tongue are like, you know, sticking right. out like that. It's a little bit of a, a, a gag shot, right? Right. Um, but the, the transition 
is extreme because you think about the time they couldn't really make a CG Christopher Walken, right. but they at the end of that, if you pause it, I think right at the end of that CG shot before it cuts to Ichabod and Katrina and then cuts back and it's Christopher Walken, mm -hmm. they get pretty fucking close, right? Without having actually filled in the skin on his I face. I think the ILM were uh, improving it with each uh, consecutive movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got The Mummy. There was a lot of that stuff going yeah. on in The Mummy. And uh, and then you've got, obviously, you've got Hollow Man. You've got this. Like, there was a, there was a lot of that kind of uh, sort of... Was Hollow Man after this or before this? I think after. But you can never it's tell... an impressive shot. You can never tell what they were working on when. So something mm. may have gotten released in 99 and then another released in 2000, but ILM may have been working you, on the effects before. Can you before. describe the shot for the listeners in Hollow Man? The shot in Hollow Man is... Uh, Where he's on the table. The, he's yeah, he's, it's when, when he turns invisible. Uh, there's, two, there's two of these sequences. There's, there's one, one with, with a gorilla. gorilla where the gorilla is brought back from invisibility yeah and so and you, you see you see the the, the skeleton and the veins systems, and the and the nerves and everything kind of building up on top of the itself different nerve systems and you can see right. them firing off and and then uh, they do it in uh, reverse with kevin bacon yeah. when he gets injected with the uh, with the serum and he starts to like disappear and you see all the the skin like coming off if you've never seen the movie highly recommend it but just go onto YouTube and look at those shots. Just search for Hollow right. Man in uh, Turning Invisible or Paul whatever. Paul Verhoeven actually hates that movie, but uh, and it, it is kind of exploitative in a way, but I think it's also by design. It's like it, it's it's very it's it's not something to be taken seriously. No. But uh, but um, yeah. But I, I, think I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a good really thriller. clever VFX shots in that movie. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm done. I'm spent. Okay. <laughs> Well, that were fun. That were fun. That were fun. Do you have any ideas of, uh, of what you'd like to do next? I, I mentioned I'd something really yesterday. I'd really like to do uh, What's Our Bond number, if I'm being You want to do What's Our Bond I number? I kind of do, but you said Idle Hands. I said Idle Hands because we want to, as I said in our intro, um, I want to... It's spooky season. It's spooky season. I want to try and get as many of, uh, of the movies that we haven't done yet. Because you like spook. I love spook. Um, so, yeah, as, as many as possible in before, the, before October 31st. Uh, but uh, honestly, you know, life happens, shit happens. You never know. So we'll try. We'll do our burst. We'll do our burst and we'll try and do what's our bond number at some point in the near future. Right. Well, I'm very pleased that we got to watch this today. Thank you for having me. Yes. And, uh, and I, I, hope I shall to have see you again. again soon. Yes. Well, thanks for listening. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs>